last week, we talked about MLOps. And uh, one of the topics we covered there was ML platforms, machine learning platforms. And we talked uh, about these platforms that there are multiple components and one of the components of an, a machine learning platform is a feature store. And this week we'll talk about uh, this topic in more details with uh, Willem. Willem is the creator of Pist, which is an open source uh, feature store. And previously Willem worked at Gojek where he led the data science platform team. And now he works at Tecton, a company that develops a feature store. Welcome. Thanks, Alexi. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's, uh, it's my pleasure. Um, so before we go into our main topic of feature store, um, can you tell us a bit more about your background? Well, what, what is your, um, how was your journey so far? Sure, I'll give you like the, I guess one minute or two minute summary. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm a South African. I um, kind of grew up there in South Africa, studied mechatronic engineering. Um, after graduating or during my university studies, I built a company, a networking company, and eventually sold that. Went into kind of control systems, automation, kind of the engineering side of, um, like a cross between engineering, traditional engineering and software. Um, worked in that industry for about uh, three years and then moved over to Asia where I continued to work up and down the stack all the way from like low level electrical and electronic devices up into the cloud. And we built a lot of like vertically integrated solutions for large um, MNCs and eventually kind of gravitated towards like large data solutions, um, kind of analytical um, warehousing um, and did that for about two years and then moved over to Singapore where I was the first engineering hire for a um, machine learning, well, it was at the time it was a data science team that they were staffing. So Gojek um, kind of, you know, I think it was like a unicorn at that stage. It was about a billion dollars in valuation. And um, they knew they had a lot of like interesting products and a lot of interesting data, but they were not doing anything with it. And so they thought, okay, well, everybody's talking about data scientists, data scientists, let's just hire a bunch of data scientists and solve you know, some of our kind of like improve our products and um, bottom line somehow. Um, so they hired a bunch of data scientists, but they couldn't get into production. And so they embedded us as engineers and they asked me to lead that team um, to kind of help them productionize their work. Um, because traditional product engineers in the company had a lot of other things going on. And so they couldn't really deal with that. And so that's what I did for about four years. And after that, um, you know, leading that and building an ML platform there and leading a team there, I moved over to Tecton where I am right now because a large part of what I was doing was just building feature stores. And um, that was like my biggest focus at Kojak. And uh, that's what I'm doing right now at Tecton as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting journey. So mechanical engineer, uh... Did you learn to code at the university? Oh, so just mechatronics te uh, technically, um, but mostly focused on the mechanical aspects at university. So I'd say 70% of that was just uh, things that I were not highly interested in. And uh, the yeah. software aspect was always the most interesting part to me yeah, and the most applicable to what I'm doing today. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. So that's... Uh... Uh, like from the very low level to to the cloud, like you said, that's uh, that's amazing. So what are what are the feature stores uh, like? Why why do we need them, and what kind of problems they solve? Yes, this is actually a big thing that we can get into today. But feature stores basically solve multiple problems. Um, I think it depends on the feature store, but essentially, a feature store is an operational data system, but and it is opinionated and targeted towards machine learning. So it solves machine learning specific um, operational problems. So things like, how do you get features that are offline into an online production environment? How do you ensure consistency between that online and offline environment? Because models require that consistency of data, right? So the features that they are trained on needs to be the same as the features they're served. <clears throat> um, how do you ship features into production without engineers? How do you allow data scientists to do that? Um, how do you kind of version control and allow data scientists to create new features? Um, so the actual transformation code. Um, how do you allow sharing and reuse? This is one of the ways in which companies uh, kind of get into building or thinking they need a feature store typically is 
we have all these features that are being duplicated across projects. Why is that a good thing? That's def definitely a bad thing. So there's a smell there. And then they, um, they start researching feature stores as a solution. Um, mm -hmm. And then the final one I'd say is, how do you ensure once the system is up and running that only the good data, like you know, valid data gets served to models? Um, so how do you monitor features, both in the online case as well as just, you know, how do you produce statistics for training data sets and how do you ensure that there's no drift or distribution shifts, mm -hmm. concept drift um, over time? Mm -hmm. Okay, so yeah. basically this is uh, like a data storage that has these nice properties of ensuring consistency, being friendly to data scientists, uh, having version control and uh, uh, making it easy to use uh, features, right? So when we have, uh, let's say, project A and project B, both might use the same features, right? And Right, so, so those are some of the problems that I've seen feature stores solve. Now, there's gonna be a big question around what should the feature store solve? Mm -hmm. um, and all feature stores don't solve these. So for example, Feast doesn't do transformations. And so some feature stores like Tecton's feature store does allow you to do transformations. The question about you know which of these problems should be the scope of the feature store, um, but yeah, essentially that's kind of those are the core core problems. Mm -hmm. And by transformation, you mean we have some data, raw data sitting somewhere in our data lake, uh, or whatever place, and then we somehow need to get this data, apply some function to this data before it ends up in our feature store, right? Yeah, you'll have multiple sources. Typically, a feature store is. So the one aspect of the feature store that's very important to understand is that it's positioned between the raw data and kind of like your production machine learning environment. So it has access to streams and it has access to your data warehouse, it has access to your data lake. So if you're applying a transformation, it should be able to act on any of those sources and then serve a kind of layer to your production environment um, that kind of decouples your ML from your data infra. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So is it difficult for data scientists? Because uh, as a data scientist, I'm used to a certain way of querying data. Like I have uh, um, SQL, I have, uh, I don't know, um, usually it's SQL, right? So I use SQL to query data. Uh, does it give this SQL-like interface, uh, SQL interface usually for data scientists or it's something different? How, how does it look typically? So there's two aspects there. The one is the production creation aspect and then one is the retrieval aspect. So most of the types, in most cases, you're pre-computing features, right? Mm -hmm. So there's typically in a feature store that allows for transformations like the Tecton one, it provides a kind of like PySpark or Python-based transformations or it provides SQL transformations and then you publish those. It would materialize or pre-compute those features and then persist them in some kind of storage engine like Dynamo, Redis, mm -hmm. et cetera. And then there's a retrieval interface. At the retrieval time, you normally have an API. You don't have SQL. It would kind of defeat the purpose to just provide a SQL interface there because then um, you can't have the same guarantees in terms of performance mm -hmm. in production. Mm -hmm. And most online models only require kind of key value enrichment of entity data. They don't require, it's like tabular data essentially. Uh, they don't require arbitrary queries to be executed. Now that being said, uh, the, the Tecton feature store and some feature stores do provide on-demand or kind of real-time transformations. So in some cases, some of the data comes from the incoming request. So let's say if like a fraud detection system, a request comes in, you want to act on live data that's attached to that, you know, metadata attached to that, that order or booking. And so those features are trans transformed at request time. But for the most part, it's pre-computed. Um, and that's the only place that you'd have kind of arbitrary logic uh, mm -hmm. in most cases, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You mentioned this uh, fraud detection. So I, I imagine a, a scenario like when a user goes to some, um, like let's say Amazon or whatever e-commerce store and buys something, right? So we have some information about the user. And then uh, let's say when there is a, a transaction, we want to predict if this transaction is fraudulent or not fraudulent. Uh, then at the moment, uh, if like when transaction happens, we talk to our uh, model, right? We, we say, okay, this user with this ID is trying to make a transaction with uh, this and this and this item on this amount of money. So we have the ID of the user, right? And this is what we ask the feature store. Hey, what are the feature for user with this ID? Give it to me, right? This is how it works. 
That's correct, yes. Yeah. Okay, okay. And uh, this topic of feature stores is quite hot these days. Um, I, I'm also a part of MLOps community and every day somebody is talking about feature stores there. Well, at least every other day. And uh, it seems very popular, right? So do you know why, why it's so popular? Why is there such, there is this hype around feature stores? I mean, I have my theories, but uh, it's definitely interesting to sit back and just observe, right? Just the amount of hype is just, it's not just feature stores, it's ML ops in general. I think uh, ML has have has had a lot of hype and I'm trying, just you know, reflecting on that a little bit, but there's a lot of competition in the space, right? I guess in terms of employment and marketability and skills, and it's kind of like the Node.js hype and the IoT hype. I think a large part of it is driven by um, you can't like a rebranding of your skill set, and so people are incentivized to become kind of niche experts in new fields. And I think that's a small part of it. But feature stores and ML ops provide a lot of value to companies, and a lot of companies are digitizing. And there, a lot of organizations will be left behind if they don't implement these systems correctly. And they've tried and failed in a lot of ways over the last couple of years, I'd say from about 2015, 2016 onwards. Some companies have succeeded and they've succeeded because they solved these problems. So like Michelangelo at Uber um, has, you know, it is a success whether or not Uber is success. So ML ops is critical if you want to actually use ML uh, for a company at scale. And I'd say we've we've crossed that hump of machine learning platforms becoming standard, right? So everybody's got their, uh, whether it's Qflow or MLflow or Selden, they've got some kind of stack running models, right? But they realized that data is almost 90% of that equation. The value is coming from producing new features, shipping that into production, exposing that to models and iterating constantly on that. It really depends on your use cases at your organization, but a feature store has massive strategic value in that I mean, it's, it sits between your data scientists that produce the features and your production environment that makes decisions. So there's a there's an acknowledgement of the value that a system like this could unlock for organizations. And then if you look at the problems that you can potentially solve, there's all this reuse and waste. And um, so the idea behind you know, solving the problems in that area uh, is kind of profound. Whether or not feature stores solve the problem is a different matter, but there's a definite potential to, you know, have massive business impact with feature stores. So what you're saying is there is hype indeed for MLOps and feature store, but this hype is uh, warranted, right? So this, uh, there are some problems and uh, well, like data science, machine learning engineering has been around for, I don't know, five to 10 years, right? So the, the industry is maturing and there are some problems that are difficult to solve. And these new things like MLOps and feature stores, they help to to address these problems, right? And yep. that's, that's why we have this hype because actually these tools help us to address these problems. Yeah, 80% of the hype is like feature store vendors promoting uh -huh. their software, right? So that's okay. just par for the course. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so maybe let's take a step back and talk about these problems that data science teams usually have. W what are these problems? And uh, are these problems more organizational or technical? Yeah, I think that's one of the interesting things that I'd love to talk about. It's, you know, if you're at a company and you have problems, normally the problems you like to talk about as an individual contributor are the technical problems, right? Because you think the organizational problems are kind of unique to your organization. but one of the things I learned was that a lot of these organizational problems are kind of, you know, deeply rooted in many orgs and they're common patterns that occur over and over again. Uh, but yeah, we can address those same problems. With, um, I mean, we can re recap those. So it's like, how do you get features into production is the one we spoke about. Um, we, we, we can drill into these. Let me just list them out. Um, so there's, you know, how do you ensure online and offline consistency? How do you, how do you, if you're shipping data from offline to online, uh, how do you ensure that data scientists can do that without engineers? Like, how do you build that bridge? Um, and then there's, you know, how do you allow them to data scientists to create transformations? How do you allow for sharing and reuse? 
and you know, how do you monitor um, you know, features and data being served to models both offline and online and ensure quality data there? Um, so did you want to kind of drill into those problems and kind of discuss them individually? Yeah, but also these are technical problems, right? But these yeah. are not the only problems we have in organizations. Yeah, so I can, I, can, I can expand on those. So mm -hmm. um, kind of shipping features into production, that's, you know, if you want to do that without an engineer, that's kind of organizational problem, right? It's mm -hmm. the original problem is engineers don't want to help me with my, mm -hmm. you know, quote unquote, dumb data science project. You know, they've got their product that they're developing, they have OKRs and they've you know, other objectives. And so data scientists are often second-class citizens. I've seen in a lot of, I mean, they're, they're some of the best people, but organizationally, sometimes they're treated like second-class citizens and their use cases and goals are not always placed at the front, right? But expected to be uh, like, uh, uh, you know, do the magic and, uh, you know, do all this engineering work and make things happen. I think a part of the problem is also data scientists, you know, there's not a, a deep understanding of, you know, the value that a data scientist can bring or ML because, you know, there was so much hype and then there a lot of failures occurred. And with data science use cases, failures are normal. Sometimes they don't work out and that should be expected. And so I think organizations are kind of, you know, placing data scientists sometimes into a corner and saying, you know, mm -hmm you're not the primary focus and you don't drive the bottom line directly yet, but you know, that's changing over time. Okay. So shipping features into production came from an organizational frustration or serving features online is something that data scientists need, right? If you want to iterate on a, a feature, you need to get into production. You need to see the results of the model improving, running your AB test. And so that's an organizational friction if the engineers can't help you with that. Um, sharing and reuse, that's an organizational problem as well, right? So you've got silo teams. They don't have communication channels between them. They don't have infrastructure or a way to, you know, broadcast uh, how their features have been created, what's the intent, what are the semantics, what are the dependencies of the transformation and the data that's been created uh, in production systems. Um, so there's a kind of social aspect to sharing and reuse, and there's a trust aspect. And I'd, I'd say that that's largely a so, uh, kind of organizational problem. Mm -hmm. Okay, makes yeah. sense. So we have multiple teams. Every team is doing, um, is solving their own problems, um, and they are building their own services, and they are, you know, building these machine learning solutions. But at the end, it turns out that there is certain overlap between the work that two teams are doing because they, they might be using, might be solving different problems. But some of the features, like let's say user-based features or some other sort of features they're common, right? And, uh, but they have to implement them from scratch. And this is an organizational problem. Yeah, I say it's a lot of organizations, I'd say um, are taking a flat approach to these teams and they kind of embed them in product teams and verticals. Mm -hmm. and, um, often, like say like a fraud team and like a team doing analytics on user data, have the they have the same entity data. Sorry, they like they say doing user types of modeling, right? Or order modeling. The features are, are common and reusable across those teams. Um, but let's say the fraud data science team has an air of secrecy because they feel like you know what they're working on shouldn't be exposed to other teams. So those are kind of organizational inefficiencies, right? If you look at it from a, like a CDO or a CIO's perspective. Uh, it doesn't make sense for some of the data and you know work to be duplicated. So that is definitely an organizational inefficiency that you could solve through technology or to, could solve through some other means. Yeah. Yeah, and then the solution would be to, in addition to these multiple teams that we have, have some sort of central team or maybe central piece of technology, like I don't know if there should be a team or not, but uh, like a place like a ML platform that is common for all the teams and um, this feature store is a part of this ML uh, platform, right? Yeah, that's right. So at Gojek, I mean, you can architect this different ways, but there's an end to an ML lifecycle. And at each stage of that lifecycle, you pretty much have a tool or multiple tools that allow you to get further down that road. So mm -hmm. it's something like data transformations at the start, um, kind of data storage, model training, model serving, model deployment, and then kind of, you know, the serving aspects and experimentation at the tail end. Mm -hmm. Yeah, But the feature source, it's in, you know, climb with the data transformation and the kind of data serving aspects, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then the idea is that we have this platform 
where we have all these uh, features. By features, I mean these capabilities of the platform. And uh, so then basically data scientists do not need to rely on data engineers or other engineers who are busy doing their own OKRs, like you said. Uh, so they can basically go ahead and uh, uh, do these things, especially if these features yeah. are already pre-computed. So there is this, when there is, we already have this uh, transformation job uh, uh, running all the time and putting the data into feature stores. So they can just go there, see what features are there, uh, and pull these features and train their model, right? Yeah, so you can think of like a utopian end state as you don't write any boilerplate, you only write your transformations, easy way to iterate, you deploy that, then um, you know it gets materialized, backfold, stored into an offline store, an online store. Then there's some kind of a API that your model can access in production or even development that allows you to kind of enrich incoming entities like user IDs or any of that with features. So you can do all of that without an engineer and then kind of deploy your, let's say it's like a Python kind of model, model wrapper into production. And it's just a platform that carries you all the way through from, from kind of like raw data all the way to prod. That's the kind of like dream state. And then ideally you'd also have like a validation layer that's giving you monitoring metrics and ensuring that any good quality data gets mm -hmm. to your model. Uh, no, it's yeah, I'm just curious, like this uh, dream state, like it looks really awesome with other companies that actually who are already there or you well you can't ask me that if <laughs> my employer already provides okay. a product like that <laughs> uh i mean if you look at companies like uber uh and if you look at the product right? that they've built at tecton uh -huh. uh, i mean from a feature store perspective you already have that okay so uh, basically so you, like I'm sorry for interrupting. So yeah, so if you have the ML platform and the rest of the components mm -hmm. and you plug that into tech to Tecton, then you will have that complete flow. Mm -hmm. um, if you have something like Feast deployed with an ML platform, mm -hmm. we don't do the transformations. And so you'd need to have some system upstream that's doing transformations. So the system that we typically recommend is DBT um, or um, you know Airflow and ETL if you want to use Spark and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, but okay. that's not something that Feast addresses addresses mm -hmm. today. Yeah. And Kubeflow pipelines, I guess, also fall into this category, right? I would not use Kubeflow pipelines for transformations, oh. but okay. uh, I use it for training models. That's a good tool for model training. Uh -huh. Yeah. Ah, okay. So this is something that lives uh, separately from that, right? Yeah, I, I consider those kind of like separate, you know, tools mm -hmm. in terms of what which stage of the lifecycle they address. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what is this? It's an open source library, right? Uh, that you created, but uh, what problem does it solve? Okay, so Feast is a feature store. Uh, mm -hmm. It's one that we built at Gojek and productionized and operated for a few years as part of the ML platform stack. Um, it solves many of these problems mm -hmm. or aspirationally we tried to you know, solve a lot of these problems. We didn't solve all of them. So we set out to solve like how do you serve features online, offline online consistency, provide a way to kind of like, you know, work with, publish data into production without engineers and the sharing and reuse and monitoring aspects also came with that. The sharing and reuse is something we didn't solve. So we didn't really double down on kind of UI and discovery and all those things. And we didn't do that because, you know, halfway through we realized Many of these teams are happy just duplicating code. They're happy just duplicating pipelines and organizational will you know, eat up the cost for a pipeline running again and nobody's going to question that. And there's a good reason for that. It's you, know, you protect your production environment by duplicating pipelines and not giving control to another team to shut down a pipeline. Uh, so what Feast mostly solves today is how do you kind of decouple your production machine learning environment from your kind of data infrastructure so we provide a way for you to ingest post-computed features from streams as well as from batch sources um, into um, the feature store. And then we provide an interface for you to build training data sets in a point in time correct way. And then through a unified interface, meaning your model sees the same, uses the same API to access features for training and online. Um, you can also then retrieve online features at low latency. So we use Redis for, for online serving there. So Feast is, you know, software that we built at Gojek and we open sourced it. We co-developed it with Google Cloud actually. And then um, 
yeah, we open sourced that. And subsequently I've joined Tekton where I continue to develop Feast. And it's kind of one of our, you know, offerings and uh, something that we, we're very focused on, yeah. Mm-hmm. And Tekton as I understood. Uh, so Feast is an open source project that you can just go ahead and install it on Google Cloud and I don't know, AWS as well. Uh, yeah, so we've been spending a lot of time kind of generalizing it over the last couple of mm-hmm. months. So you can deploy it on Amazon, you can deploy it on Azure. We actually mm-hmm. have uh, folks deploying it on Azure right now. We just launched just launched a Terraform deployment for Azure if you want to try it out. Um, and of course, GCP. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then Tekton would be like, uh, okay, if you don't want to do all that, uh, like setting it up on your cloud, you just go and have like it as a end-to-end package, right? So you just use it. Yeah. So I think to... Tekton is a little bit more um, full-featured. So Tekton mm-hmm. is a complete platform. It's like if you're an enterprise user or somebody that wants the complete lifecycle, so transformations, user oh. interface, um, you know, on-demand, so it's, it's like streaming transformations, on-demand transformations, it's batch transformations, it's a UI, it's monitoring. Um, it's a complete feature store. So... Um, you also have kind of like security and auditability and compliance related functionality there. Mm-hmm. So it's really targeted at companies that you know just want to solve this problem today and they understand the value of feature mm-hmm. stores. And Feast is mostly targeted at teams that are happy to build and kind of slot in a smaller tool into a larger stack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like uh, like this Unix concept when you have many many small tools that do. Yeah, but I, well. I, at the end of the day, feature stores are still a little bit overloaded. They're trying to solve a lot of problems, and so they're not really little tools. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have a question. Um, uh, could we take a step back and say what are the bi- basic components of the features of which feature store are? So you mentioned that there is um, like actual data storage for offline and online. Uh, calculations right so i don't know what for, for online you mentioned radius or dynamo uh, then for what do we use for offline storage usually there's a great blog post that i wrote for you know, with mike balso um, for tecton that i want to plug which is what is a feature store and in mm-hmm. that we describe the components and so we'd say there's a transformation or computation engine Mm-hmm. So you'd have your upstream data sources like stream or batch. Then is the transformation system like Spark or SQL in a warehouse or something mm-hmm. that transforms. Then there's storage layer. So normally there's like an offline and online storage. So in the tech case of Tekton, the offline storage is an object store like Delta, but you can also use a warehouse like GC, like BigQuery or Snowflake as the offline store. Mm-hmm. And there's also the online storage and in Tekton's case, that's Dynamo and Feast case, that's Redis. So normally it's a key value, low latency store for online. And it's kind of like a large big data lake like or warehouse like you know, Hive, BigQuery, Redshift, Snowflake for offline. So those are the two components. There's compute, there's storage, and then there's a serving layer. And that's normally mm-hmm. just an API that allows you to read from the, you know, either the online store or offline store, or sometimes we just use an SDK to read from the offline store. So it's a query generator. Mm-hmm. So serving is the third component there. Um, a critical component in a feature store is the registry and both Feast and Tekton has this and I think most feature stores. And so you define like schemas that describe where your data is upstream and schemas and, you know, definitions that describe the transformations that you want to apply and you register that into the registry. And then the feature store can, you know, execute or implement those schemas um, as infrastructure. So either it creates the tables in the warehouses or it runs the computational jobs based on the definitions in the registry. And the final component would be just the monitoring layer. So there's normally a monitoring component in a feature store that ensures that, you know, it tracks data being ingested from streams, data being computed there, it tracks data being read from batch sources and, you know, like row counts and distributions and all kinds of things there, and then data being read out of the feature store. So what we often find is that teams, especially in the fraud side, if they're reading data from the online store, will log those features back into like a warehouse. And you know, you can use that for training data as you can also use that to validate the data being served to models and ensure that there isn't drift. So those are the five. It's the transformation engine, there's the storage engine, there's serving layer, registry, and then there's the operational monitoring layer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And registry um, also usually like there is some certain um, user interface component where people can just go and take a look at the 
features. Yeah, so the the more advanced feature stores have kind of like a user just like a feature discovery and an entity discovery interface they built in the registry. Yeah. Okay. And uh, yeah, let's say we want to start using the feature store at our organization, right? And probably it will also come with a machine learning platform. Um, so how do we go about doing this? Okay, so first it depends on what your use case is. So I'll talk about the use cases that typically don't, aren't a good idea to use a feature store for. Mm -hmm. okay. The ones we've seen like selling a feature store inside of Gojek where we had 16, 17 different products. I know which use cases you know, are not really applicable. Uh, so if you have batch use cases only, it's probably not necessary for you to have a feature store, even though it does add a lot of value if you use something like Tecton to do transformations, but you can maybe just get away with dbt. If you mm -hmm. have computer vision or NLP or super unstructured data, then probably not a good idea. Mm -hmm. But if you do have online serving needs, um, if you're using kind of tabular data or so let's say fraud detection or anything that has something to do with kind of like product recommendations or user you know, risk scores or uh, fraud detection. Um, so at Gojek, we had a lot of like, you know, ranking systems and price optimization systems, anything that you kind of want to have a entity coming in or multiple entities and you want to enrich them with features mm -hmm. and you can use those features in let's say just the traditional models like XGBoost, Scikit-Learn, TensorFlow, PyTorch. That's a great use case for feature stores. Um, so Feast primarily solves kind of, for Feast I'd say the big value add is going to be that online serving layer mm -hmm. and the unified access. <clears throat> so if you want to use, let's say, Feast in your organization, you'd implement that after your transformation pipelines. So you already, as we assume that you have some system to do transformations. Let's say it's BigQuery to BigQuery or you know it's batch to batch, and then maybe you have some streaming transformations. You, you not, so what some teams do traditionally is they transform data and then they write it directly into the production environment. We don't recommend that architecture. What we recommend is, if you transform a stream, you push it back to a stream. And if you transform a batch data source, you push batch back to your lake or warehouse. And then the feature store is kind of like the layer that slots that bolts on top of that. And then you, you can, with the feature store, pick, you know, which columns and tables you want to productionize and make available into your, in your environment uh, for serving in your production environment. Um, so that's how you'd use Feast. You'd, you'd apply it on your existing batch and stream sources. For Tecton, mm -hmm. you'd, you'd potentially not even need to have your transformations. Like you could read from your existing transformed data, both streams and batches, but um, you could also just read raw event logs with Tecton mm -hmm. and then transform it using Tecton. Yeah. But yes. but typically they're, they're deployed between your data infrastructure and mm -hmm. your production serving mm -hmm. environments. Yeah. So just to summarize and to make sure I understood correctly. Um, so let's say we, we, we want to start using feature stores. Um, and for Feast, we probably already have some certain, some data infrastructure. Let's say we use dbt or Airflow or something like that. And then we can just on, add this on top of existing pipelines uh, on existing uh, data transformation and just register um, like our, um, can just point out, okay, in this table, we have these features. You can just take the, them and put the, them to the offline to online storage, right? Okay. And yeah. So basically, you just you have some kind of existing pipelines that are producing schemas of mm -hmm. schemas for specific tables. Let's say it's Snowflake, and you then register those tables using mm -hmm. feature definitions in the feature store, and then the feature store would be aware of those tables, and then it would start productionizing them. Yeah. Okay. And what Feast would do in this case, it would take these features from our offline store uh, of our data lake, uh, Snowflake, or whatever, um, and put them to online storage, right? To, That's to right, this. yeah. Okay. And then in case of Tecton, uh, there are a lot more um, options. Uh, so basically, you can also start doing transformations there, uh, plug it into some existing set like logs and events, and it will just uh, take this information, take these events and start producing. Yeah, I think the key, the key difference there is that with Feast, you want to point to tables that are already mm -hmm. you know, featureized or transformed okay. because you don't want to serve raw event data. With mm -hmm. Tecton, you point it towards your raw event data and your data lake. 
and you can then give it a transformation and it'll compute that for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you mentioned, uh, when I asked this question, you mentioned that there are some cases when a feature store is not a good solution. So you just wanted to, 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 to talk a bit about that as well. So you mentioned that we don't need a feature store when we have a, a, a batch processing, right? So when we already- Well, it's, it's, it's not that you don't need a feature store. It's a feature store like Feast is not really that useful okay. if you are using, you know, if you just need batch scoring, Mm -hmm. So let's say you're just running like batch campaigns, like, you mm -hmm. know, some kind of, you know, marketing campaign or something that you're using machine learning for. Mm -hmm. You typically don't need that. You can just write everything in SQL. Like you can mm -hmm. just use BigQuery and BigQuery ML or something like that. Um, there's no online serving component. You can write mm -hmm. your own validation using, you know, great expectations or you know, DBT or something. Um, in the case of Tekton, it's actually quite valuable to use Tekton mm -hmm. for that still because it gives you the transformation system, but uh, takes away some of the kind of key aspects of the feature store in that it bridges the kind of offline and online worlds. Okay, yeah. So basically in this uh, way, if we have, if we, let's say, use Tekton for that, for our uh, batch jobs, the moment we decide to go online, and start serving these models online. We already have everything. We can yeah, just right. you know, click a button yeah. and then we deploy a web service. Yep. Okay. And then you also mentioned then we have um, less structured data. So like when we have tabular data uh, and we want to build an online model on top of that, then a feature store is a great solution for that. But when we have less structured data and it could be like images, texts uh, and things like that, then um, this is not the best uh, solution, right? Yeah, it's kind of like, what is the value that you're going to have at that point? So mm -hmm. I think it still provides a lot of value in allowing you to serve data, right? So you can kind of ship, uh, you know, you, okay. you can ship blobs of binary into production. Mm -hmm. You can make it available. That's something, right? But then imagine you have like a 2D image and you're just sorting that as like a two by, you know, like a two-dimensional cell it's like mm -hmm. you know you know some id that you look up and it's just like a 2d array right mm -hmm. of, of of you know bits or something but i i I've, i struggle to see where the value is and especially in the kind of like a reuse case and the semantic case because normally in feature with features you want to have like each feature column has some kind of identity right you have an understanding of the intent of the you know creation of that feature mm -hmm. but if it's just a binary blob then it's pointless mm -hmm. almost Mm -hmm. You can serve that data online, but no other team is going to discover that and you know unpack that and understand what you're doing. It's going to be purely for your use case. Mm -hmm. So you're kind of like using the feature store as a means to an end, but it's not really building efficiency in your team if you're using it for those use cases. Mm -hmm. uh, perhaps a good use case would be, correct me if I'm wrong, that let's say we have a model, uh, image classification model, and we apply this model to images and then save the results. And let's say we have a model that says, what is the probability that this image is an image of a car? And we just save it as a feature. Okay, this is the probability that this image is a car. And then basically in real time, we would uh, ask the feature store, uh, hey, give me the probability that this image with this ID uh, is a car, right? And it would give back the, the predictions. This is a good use case, isn't it? Um, I think if you're using those, aspects of the image as outputs and those outputs mm -hmm. go into the feature store and then subsequent downstream systems can use you know those probabilities as features themselves yes, that's a great use case uh -huh. so yes. you can have a column that is like you know is car and that's maybe just a binary and there's maybe mm -hmm. like probability car it's like 0 0.7 or mm -hmm. something that's a great input to a model the subsequent model um, but if you're storing just i mean if the input to the model itself is the image and the image is coming from the feature store. I don't think that that is a great use case of the mm -hmm. feature store, even though that is a good, uh, because normally that that input is not going to come from the feature store. So normally the incoming request is going to have like, you know, a request ID and model URL on S3, and then you can download the image from, sorry, the image URL from S3. You're going to download that image, and then you're going to feed it to the model, and mm -hmm. that's going to take 10 seconds, and then you're going to get some mm -hmm. output. Uh, but you're not really going to read that image from the feature store in most cases because, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's just not a good use of the infrastructure because you don't have the latency aspects. You know, it doesn't have to take you know, milliseconds. Um, 
but the output of that is something you do want to store in a feature store. And that's actually something we saw a lot at Gojek. So you have these all these ML use cases, models in production, and the output of those models go back onto a stream. And then from the stream, we read it back into the feature store and you kind of built these cyclic, you know, reinforcements of, uh, you know, expanding your data foundation and you can reuse those, those output of models as features because essentially the model is just the transformation itself. So, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Exactly. Okay. Let's say I want to learn more about uh, feature stores as uh, an individual contributor working at the company. And yeah, I just, this is an exciting topic. Everyone is talking about this and I just want to learn more about this. How would I, uh, how would I do this? Is there a, a good suggestion for me to, to start learning this thing? That's a good question. I mean, I think you can just literally go to MLOps community. Um, mm -hmm. There's a lot of resources there that people have posted, especially in the data ops channel, the open source channel, just the general channel. Uh, read some of the articles that are being posted. <clears throat> We're also happy with you know our competitors' articles being read, but um, have a look at the Tecton blog. There's some good articles that we put out there that explains our thinking about it. We're spending a lot of time right, uh, right now thinking about the category itself and what a feature store, a feature store should do. Um, really a lot of time. And, you know, some like great minds from Google and Uber, um, you know, thinking about the space. Um, but the articles that we've written on the Tekton blog are great. And I think you should also maybe have a look at just, um, you know, MLOps community. There's a lot of resources there. Mm -hmm. But these are more like... Uh maybe perhaps theoretical, but uh, like, is there something hands-on we can do? Like, I don't know, maybe just set up Feast on our laptop. Oh, right. I mean, if you just want to try it out, if you want to physically, yeah. like literally just install it, you can just go to feast.dev and try it out. You can run mm -hmm. a Docker Compose of Feast and um, run through the notebook. There's an example notebook. Okay. Yeah, and that should give sufficient understanding on of what this is. And uh, let's say if, uh, if I see it, my company, there is a similar use case. I can just go ahead and propose it to. Yeah, I think one of the things that we've not really succeeded at is articulating all of the use cases where it would be valuable. That's mm -hmm. something we, you know, at Feast, we've kind of failed at yet for the time being. Something that we want to focus on in the next couple of months is producing more content that it explains and grounds the feature store within a organizational context. You can have a look at the Feast docs. We explain exactly the why, you know, when to use a feature store and when not to. If you look at our documentation, you don't even have to install it. Just go and read those, those docs. Um, but I think there is sufficient content on MLOps community that explains how people are using feature stores. And even some companies and teams like Monzo and Neil Lathia that mm -hmm. you know, explain how he built the feature store to solve a specific problem. And it looks completely different and it's a lot more lightweight than we did it. Um, but it's still relevant to solving some of the same problems. Um, and yeah, he actually mentioned that they use feature stores for storing text data, which is uh, which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we have a question. Um, what workflow do you recommend for engineering new features, testing offline performance, and making sure that offline and online data matches? Well, I mean, there's challenges there. If you're using a feature store, it looks different from not using a feature store. Um, we typically treat transformations separately. So we have streaming transformations that we treat differently from batch transformations. So in the batch case, you can have DBT or some kind of transformation system. Um, and then you have your, I mean, you have, you know, validations built into transformations and you have like stream transformations with um, perhaps you can have like a logger that's syncing that to, into a batch environment. And then you can have some kind of, you know, system that gets triggered to validate data and you can use great expectations or TFDV to do that. So there's kind of four areas where we hook um, into validation systems. So that's streaming ingestion and transformation. There's the batch validate the batch transformation and you know, pre ingestion into the offline store validation. And then there's training data set, like right before you train, you can validate. And right before you serve data to the model itself, you can also validate. So those are the four main points. Um, and, and with a feature store, you get those hooks and like call, you know, you know, trigger points to validations. If you don't have a feature store, you can also just, you know, run your code there. You can have a repository with great expectations and just 
apply those expectations on your data. I'd say for most teams, covering you know the batch features is probably the biggest concern, especially if they're productionizing analytical data that other teams are creating. Um, but yeah, you have to take a defensive approach. And the unfortunate reality is if you don't have a feature store, you probably have to write a lot of boilerplate code in order to prevent bad data from reaching your models. And so your model serving layers can have a lot of, you know, if X greater than something, then, you know, produce some kind of alert. You know, you're going to have a lot of hard code, excuse me, hard coded logic there. Yeah. And great expectations. You mentioned this a couple of times. This is a tool that allows you to, to do these checks or what, what is that? Yeah, great expectations allows you to, um, you create data um, and then you can kind of use it to profile your data. So you get an understanding and you know, properties about columns and distributions. Then you can store and encode these expectations about your data. And then subsequently, when you create new data sets on the same features, for example, like different days, you can run those expectations to ensure that your data hasn't changed. Mm -hmm. And you can kind of layer on more, more expectations about your data. So you can say like the range of the data is within these bounds or the distributions within certain shape, or these are the categorical elements of this. And these are those like nominal features. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, great expectations is great. Mostly focused on batch today, but we're hoping mm -hmm. that Tools like that will also become available for the streaming use cases. And mm -hmm. that's yeah. something that we're trying to solve with feature stores as well. It sounds incredibly useful. We have another question about streams. Um, do you have any opinion on Apache Flink versus Apache Spark for calculating real-time features? Well, we started with Apache Beam and Beam and Flink are very similar. Um, I, I'm a big fan of Apache Flink. Um, most of the engineers that I respect also have very high uh, regard for the project because of its API. It's a really, really great API. Um, we are using Spark with Feast today because just because of its ecosystem and connector support. Um, I'd say in terms of the raw technology itself, Flink is superior, but um, the ability for Spark to execute in multiple environments. So you could like traditional... Um, Hadoop refugees and you've got clouds like GCP and Azure and uh, Amazon that allow you to run Spark jobs relatively easily. It's not there yet for Flink and a lot of companies, you know, they'll, they'll happily run Spark, but if you say Flink, then they'll say, okay, well, now we need to implement a new runner. Um, mm -hmm. Although there are a lot of companies that are today running Flink and some of the cloud providers do now support running Flink. Like I think it's possible on, on Amazon. Mm -hmm. um, so I'd say it's probably get there in the next year or two, mm -hmm. um, but there's not much difference between them right now in the way at least we are using it. Yeah. Yeah, I think there is a connector for uh, Kinesis in AWS uh, for Flink, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. I think I, I remember seeing something like that. Yeah. Who are Hadoop refugees? You know, all those, you know, folks that are running either on-premise or they've got large Hadoop stacks, HDFS and uh, things like that in Hive that okay. uh, inevitably will need to <laughs> get onto the query and Snowflake and modernize. But uh, for some companies, that's going to be a 10-year effort. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's a funny name. Um, what APIs are provided for feature transformations? Is it similar to building Spark Beam transformations? Yeah, so in the Tekton case, it's like PySpark, mm -hmm. Spark SQL. Uh, if you're using an existing warehouse, it'll be like SnowSQL, BigQuery SQL. And for online transformations, meaning just in time or like request time transformations, it's um, Py, uh, it's just Python. So you can write you know, Pandas transformations or any kind of mm -hmm. Python transformations. Um, I'm sure that, you know, some teams are running Scala transformations in, in production mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but that's not supported today with Tekton. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And for Feast, it doesn't matter, right? Because Feast doesn't care about uh, what... Yeah, so it's something that we're use. considering adding, but it's not something that's, you know, going to land soon. Um, On-demand on transformations is actually something that a lot of teams have asked for because there's mm -hmm. a lot of request time transformations. And if you think about it, it's a big problem to unify on demand and you know the online and offline aspects there. Um, like if you're running kind of 
Java transformations in production, you kind of have to go back to the data science notebook to ensure that they have the same transformations being applied to mm -hmm. the training data sets. Uh, so it's something that we want to address. Yeah. Okay, thanks. Then we have a question more about like organizational. At what size of a group does it make sense to build a feature store? That's a good question. Uh, traditionally, I would have said, you know, you have multiple use cases. So one team, like let's say two or three data scientists with multiple projects, um, or you have multiple teams that have like just one project and they kind of want, there's some sharing and collaboration that they need between them. Uh, I'd, I'd say that's the current state of the industry. We're looking at whether, you know, with Feast we can address like a single data scientist, add value to either a single data scientist or a single team on a single use case. That's where we want to get to. We see that as like the kind of ideal target state, but not sure if feature source, feature source will ever get to that point. Uh, the mm -hmm. current status quo is still platform team addressing multiple kind of solution oriented teams. Um, yeah. So let's say if uh, we're a small startup and we're just starting with data science and let's say we hired, hired our first data engineer and uh, I don't know, data scientist, should we already start build, uh, like using feature store or maybe? Yeah, I, I don't think it makes sense to start like if you have a feature store that allows you to do transformations, yes, that makes sense. Um, mm -hmm. But you don't have the organizational fr friction in that case, right? Normally folks have multiple hats they wear, the data engineer and data scientist sit next to each other. Maybe the data scientist is the CEO, <laughs> who knows? Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, if you want to ship features into production, you're shipping like 10 features and 20 features and maybe you have one model, it's not a big deal. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's when you want to iterate on those models, when it really becomes a core of your business, when you have multiple use cases and when the teams start to kind of become independent and they're, you know, they're not working side by side every day. That's when the feature store starts to pay real dividends. Mm -hmm. yeah. and so I wouldn't say it's absolutely necessary for a team mm -hmm. to, of two or three, you know, data scientists and engineers to, to mm -hmm. start with one. So it will not be too difficult to start using it later. It's so like it doesn't make sense to do it upfront in case, uh, you know, that later it becomes too difficult to to move our the pipelines. Biggest, yeah, the biggest friction we see is normally the transformations. Let's say you're using Airflow and Spark or you're using DBT. Um, if you already have all your transformations in one place and you add a feature store that allows you to do transformations, then you have it in two places. And so with Feast, it doesn't do transformation, so it's an easy one to slot in. With Tekton, it's also easy to slot in, but you need to make a decision where you want your transformations to live and whether you're okay with living in Tekton or Tekton just layering on top of um, So there's that question. So it's not harder, it's just you need to kind of commit to a single approach eventually. And inevitably, you'll have people on both sides. You know, the greenfield projects will want to use Tekton and the kind of brownfield projects that already have everything implemented upstream, they'll want to say, okay, I don't want to migrate my transformations. And so there might be some friction there. Okay. Brownfield project, interesting. It's the first time I hear this. <laughs> I've heard greenfield, but not brownfield. I, I, I hope that's a, that's a thing. <laughs> but you understood that's what I mean. Opposite, right? The opposite of greenfield, right? So an, an existing... So like an uh, existing project, yeah. Okay. So what is your take on DBT and Feature Store? From what I understood, you previously said you like DBT and it's a great tool. Um, do they play together well with Feature Stores? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's not really DBT specific, but data warehouses are taking over. And I don't think that, you know, the stack of the feature is going to be data lakes and object stores. It will be some kind of unified SQL interface or some kind of platform that scales out. You can already see how BigQuery and Snowflake are kind of dominating the space. So feature stores slot well onto those systems. Um, and if you, it depends on the feature store, but if you already have DPT in place for your batch transformations, for I'd say most companies, that's already solving 80, 90% of your uh, transformation needs. So that's why there's a good synergy between those two. And also um, it, a lot of companies and a lot of you know organizations that are large have a lot of analysts and those analysts mm -hmm can produce a lot of features. And something we're seeing a lot right now is chief data officers, chief information officers saying, you know, I want my analysts not to just contribute to dashboards and reports, but why can't they contribute features that actually drive the bottom line? Mm -hmm. um, and 
the gateway to that is SQL through a warehouse. And so mm -hmm. DBT enables that and some feature stores also enable that. Okay, and um, how do you usually go about setting up features back in time, let's say in BigQuery or in Google Cloud Platform? Sorry, I didn't hear that. Can you yeah, so the question one? is um, just reading, how do you usually go back, uh, go about setting up features back in time? So when you want to calculate uh, a new feature, I assume you need to go back in time to actually uh, recompute it for historical data. How do oh, you do that? Yes, in the case of Feast, uh, it's different from Tekton. So um, in the case of Feast, the upstream system is doing the backfall, right? So if you publish a new feature, that's a new iteration of an ETL or an ELT pipeline that produces a new output that has to be, you know, you, you run it with Airflow, backfill it, and then you call the feature store and it'll re-ingest those features into the online environment. In the case of uh, Tekton, you change the transformation, but the source of the data stays the same. But by changing the transformation, you produce a new feature. And so it'll it'll know that it doesn't have that in the, the new features in production or in the whole fine store. And so it'll automatically start backfilling. So you set a start date and say, let's say it's the start of 2021. And then it'll know, okay, I need a daily feature for you know this feature table. <clears throat> and it'll start materializing the data for you. So it's mostly automated. Um, in the case of features feast, you just need to send it an API call to re-ingest the data. Do you have time for a couple of more questions? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, I have time. So who in your opinion should maintain features in feature store? Should it be as close to the source uh, or the one who benefit uh, the most from these features or some central team? Oh, that's a good question as well. Um, so we've seen probably um, the, the most sane approach seems to be you don't gatekeep at all um, because if you're as a central team kind of gatekeeping and having to police features, uh, you slow down you know, the work a lot. What normally happens with feature stores is that you have specific ML use cases. So there's a proof of concept for the feature store and there's another use case and another use case. And over time you start to see similarities and patterns. And when the reuse starts to happen, you, you can track the reuse of features a central team can step in and say, well, well, either this feature is being reused and you can kind of just take ownership of it because it's so important for most of these use cases that are actually running in production. Or you can see these features are duplicated but very similar and there's not reuse happening, but there should be. And you can say, you know, I'm going to kind of take this out and own it and, you know, build a golden data set or a golden feature set and control that as a central platform team and then force those teams to kind of adopt your features or at least coordinate the kind of deduplication of those features. Mm -hmm. um, but normally the process is organic. It's not something that you start off with with a coordinated set of feature because the features won't be perfect from day one. And it's best to let the data scientist iterate on them. And when it stabilizes, then you can kind of you know, pull them out. The worst case is for you to, as an engineer to kind of step in and dictate how the feature should be created. Mm -hmm. So basically, it just happens organically. First, data scientists look after features, but when the central yeah. team sees that there are some, you know, duplication or things like that, and then they can start taking care and uh, start maintaining these features themselves. Yeah, it's normally not. It's normally driven by importance of the feature. Like okay. uh, you can see the feature importance based on uh, you know the model itself, and then you know how much of an influence that feature has on you know decision making. And so sometimes you want to take control of that because you don't want like a junior data scientist to ch change a SQL query and that has a production impact that has a bottom line impact on the business. Okay. Yep, thanks. What is the difference to a data platform with ETL preparation and a good uh, store catalog? So how is it different from these catalogs uh, that we have in traditional BI world uh, and these feature stores? I think there's just, so let's track back to the first thing that we said when we talked about a feature store. It's an opinionated data system for uh, operational data for machine learning. So those operational machine learning are the two kind of key words there. Mm -hmm. Traditional data platforms are not focused on serving low latency data. And if they have a means of serving data at low latency, so if you look at like Databricks or if you look at Snowflake, there's no like online low latency aspect there. And if they add that aspect, then is that built as a traditional kind of, you know, 
low latency data as a service, which isn't what the feature store tries to solve. The feature store tries to unify that interface, the online serving and the offline, specifically for machine learning models. And that requires those two to be identical. So if you query it with a specific list of features and entities, it should produce a data set that is identical in the offline case and the online case. So there's a specific constraint that's applied to the, you know, to those two kind of serving environments. In theory, a data platform could provide this, and that's why a feature store is a part of your data platform stack, essentially, right? Um, it's also part of your ML platform stack, but it bridges those two worlds. Um, so it's it's an opinionated component within a data platform, I'd, I'd say. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, makes sense. We still have seven more questions. I don't think we should keep you for that long. Uh, what I propose is I'll share these uh, questions in Slack. And if you have some time, maybe you can come at some point and sure. answer these questions. Or maybe the we in the community will take some of these questions and answer them as well. So thanks a lot for coming. It was a pleasure talking to you. I learned a lot today about feature stores and I already have some ideas how I can uh, try to use them and when I should not try to use feature yeah. stores. That was an important thing as well. So thanks a lot and th thanks everyone else for coming today and listening and asking questions. Thank thanks, you. Thanks, Legacy. Yeah, have a nice Bye. day.